Are you working on something? for our director. <laughs> Before the camera comes on, I just uh, want to say how much I just appreciate on uh, Giving Tuesday that all of us are here together and reminded me of the, the aspect of, of Donna or generosity that is just giving your sense of presence to the Sangha, the reminded of that obvious lifting power of, of people together in a flock rather than flying alone. So thank you for the generosity of just being here. And I say that because we often, I'm sure in the 7.30 in the evening on a Tuesday night, you may think, oh, it's t- tired, you know, there are other things I could be doing, or had a long day, and... Uh, and we may forget sometimes that we don't just practice for ourselves, but we practice for each other. And so, thank you. And I certainly benefit by being able to sit with you. And tonight, just being able to sit down with you and think about what I wanted to speak about, I, I kept being uh, impressed by this quote that I often share here from Sogyal Rinpoche, He said, sometimes I think that the greatest achievement of modern culture is its brilliant selling of samsara and its barren distractions. And for those of you who don't know this word samsara, samsara is the the word for, it's, it's, Translated as endless wandering, but it, samsara means the cycle of endless searching for, in a, for satisfaction in things that change, that keep us on a kind of gerbil wheel of endless dissatisfaction. So that cycle is, is what uh, Sogil says, the, this culture is brilliant at its selling of samsara and its barren distractions. This samsara uh, is fed by, as he puts it, by a consumer machine. And Marlena stole my thunder by talking about Cyber Monday and you know everything that we've been going through. But it's fed by a consumer machine that needs to keep us greedy to keep going. Uh, it's highly uh, sophisticated and versatile with its propaganda and. Uh, and it assaults us from every angle with that propaganda and leads us, uh, leads us away from everything that we truly long for. It talks about making people happy but starves, their, starves us of our source of real joy. Uh, and all of this stems from a culture, as he says, that claims to adore life but starves it of any re- real meaning. And, and rather than, uh, and all of its samsara, this, this consumer machine, all it holds out to us um, 
to drink to satisfy our thirst is salt water that makes us even thirstier. So all of us, every person in this room to some degree has been, you could use the word inculcated, you've been influenced by uh, by this message that in order to find happiness in this life, you have to be a good consumer. You have to, in some way, go out of yourself in search. You have got to go out of your house. You've got to go onto the computer. And now you have to go onto your smartphone to do your shopping. You have to find some way of plugging in that keeps this engine going. And almost in almost every case, in all of us, when our minds dwell on that idea that... Uh, that I have to have in order to be happy, we literally plant a seed in every one of those moments with the, uh, the view that I cannot be happy now. That the present moment, my life as it is, is insufficient. We're literally planting an addictive seed that says, I can't be happy. We're even declaring it to ourselves that uh, there's something insufficient about my, my life as it is, who I am. And it, it's insidious because if I asked you, you say, yeah, I'm, I know I can be happy here and now. I realize that when I meditate. But then if you track, if you look at the, your stream of thoughts, your stream of consciousness as it goes through the day, isn't it, isn't it all about... What's next? Isn't it all about uh, either making enough money or buying enough stuff or getting to the end of the, the weekend, getting somewhere, getting somewhere, this a mind that is often, what Joseph, how Joseph Goldstein used to put it, toppling forward, toppling forward into the, into the next moment. Not the exact opposite of that feeling of being settled back. That feeling of, right now, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with my life. How many of you operate from that point of view? Nine? (laughs) Beautiful. I know that there are people here who are part of the, the consumer machine. And we need, you know, we do need things and I, I was very impressed by an interview I saw with with Jonathan Ive Ivy or Ive the who's the uh, head of design at Apple who talked about his inspiration for these all these different eye things that they were meant in his mind to be not only beautiful but tools tools to be used and they're very useful they have a lot of wonderful function but somehow or other we have lost, we've gotten caught up, fixated in these very functions to the point where they've become obsessive. They've, been, they've come, become compulsions. And that compulsion, that tendency of mind to go in search, to be fixated, it will then, it will go through the Rolodex of possibilities of what we can fixate on. And 
then it becomes what happens over time. It becomes harder to just be. It's harder to be a human. We end up being, as we often say, human doings instead of human beings. And then associate our very sense of worth with how busy we are, how much we do. How, and we get prideful over that. And it's, um, it, it masks something that is so precious, so precious in us, that it's already, always okay. Already, always completely satisfied. And that's none other than the very nature of your mind. And that's hopefully, just to clarify, when we come to sit, it's not just about, about learning how to track the flow of consciousness, learning how to feel my feelings and track the sensations and learn about the nature of sensations. It's to, it's to realize that, there, that we've been missing ourselves. We've been missing something. The very thing that we hope for at the end of the rainbow is, is ourselves. I know last week I, sh- I had running through my mind the words of Ramakrishna where he said, Oh, longing mind, dwell within the depths of your own pure nature. Do not seek your home elsewhere. He said, Don't confine your innate infinity, which is that, that absolute innate freedom that's part, that is our nature right here. It says, don't confine that innate infinity within the mansions of, of finitude. Get caught up in name and form and function and all that. It says, don't get so absorbed in, um, in things that don't matter so much. He says, your naked awareness alone, O oh mind, is the inexhaustible abundance for which you long so desperately. So that's the, that's the understanding that, um, that I just can't help but, um, but speak about every week, every week. Because somehow or other we have, to, we have to wake up out of Black Thursday, Friday, Cyber Tuesday. <laughs> We've got to wake up from this. Otherwise we end up, as Bo Lozoff talks about, just unconsciously going along, as he puts it, trying to keep up with the Joneses. And as he puts it, you know, we've all been about keeping up with the Joneses in one form or another, but it's time that we realize that the Joneses are not happy. (laughs) And just, just to elaborate on what he said, I brought it along tonight. He says... The Joneses are not happy. One of their kids is, is on drugs. <laughs> the parents are in divorce court. Mr. Jones is on antidepressants. This is, you know, this is, I have deep compassion. This is us. Mr. Jones is on antidepressants. Mrs. Jones is taking anti-anxiety medication. This is no joke. This is the reality of the American dream for most people. It's time to wake up from such a bad dream. That was the whole purpose of the, of the Buddha's teaching of awakening, of the capacity to awaken. The fact of awakening, living in your heart as you, as you, as you are. Now. That's the whole point of it. The, 
the understanding that samsara, this cycle of endlessly searching for the future that never arrives and getting and having and losing, that it has not made anybody happy. It hasn't made anybody truly happy. It's just worn us out. It's just put us on on anti-anxiety medication and antidepressants and all the things that we innocently use to try to soothe our anxious hearts. Why are we anxious? Because one, we have a very unhealthy, in a non-harmonious relationship with the fact that we are all going to die and we don't know when. Now, now we, if we keep our lives moving fast enough, maybe we don't have to think about it. Maybe we don't have to be touched by this this reality, which is the, in one way, is the, it's the greatest gift. It, it gives us the, the reminder of the poignancy of every moment of our life and the reality that, the, that everyone that we are able to see and touch in our lives is so precious in that, in that we, can't take the, we can't take each other for granted, or we can, but it, we do it at the cost of really living. And so, the, so finding some kind of understanding, harmony with the fact of dying is, is really the invitation to live. It is the commitment to live. And interestingly enough, that if we truly, truly live, if we truly drop our fear and anxiety and, and uh, compulsion to get away from the reality of sickness, old age, and death, then when we stop, we actually touch in ourselves, we actually reawaken in ourselves to the deathless, that in us which was never born and never dies. That even though this body, and I've been talking about this lately because I turned 60, and no matter how much I want to, be, I want to simply rest in that place where I was never born and never die, my, the mind that goes with this body is saying, uh-oh, you're in trouble. Maybe this particular food poisoning is going to lead to this, and maybe this, this little pitter-patter of the heart or this backache is going to turn into a chronic dissolution of the, the discs and this knee pain is going to cause a permanent swelling and then the, a, you know, and the mind's tendency to fall into what we call papancha or proliferation. This is what happens with a vulnerable body. But the more that I remember, the more I remember that which is deathless, that which is never born and never dies within me, then I can actually enjoy, not be burdened so much by the mental illness that flows through my mind. All the clinging that the body does just by, primor- just by its nature, it, it just wants to survive. And the more that I can meet that with compassion and understanding that, yeah, maybe this is the beginning of the end. It is. From the moment we're born, we're sinking ships. (laughs) I always like saying that. (laughs) But this is all about realizing the deathless. It's not about having a morbid view of life that everything is is impermanent, unreliable, empty, and, and we die. You don't just adopt that as a view, you do use it as a reminder to, to live, 
to live with the, with the, with the passion that naturally comes when, you, when your eyes open to life. So it, it doesn't really work to dull ourselves, to hide away in fear and dullness, and to drug ourselves and to, and to absorb ourselves in the TV and the computer and, and, the, and drugs or alcohol or sex or whatever it is that we fixate on. It doesn't help. And it leaves in its wake a, a real disembodiment, a disconnection with the, the vividness of, of our reality. And we don't have to live like that. We can live freely. And you come on Tuesday nights, and there's a little safety here. There's a little safety here. You're, you don't have to be anybody in particular. Uh, but we don't do anything here. We don't do anything at all except stop defining ourselves for a moment by, by our careers, by our relationships, by our life situations. We're, not, we're simply connecting with our life for a moment. And that we get a little feedback from, from awareness, from life. We get a, a kind of feedback that says, wow, even though, even, though my li- even though my life situation as a human being is incredibly vulnerable and it's so difficult to do everything that has to be done every day, the constant repetition of, of waking up and, and washing and then cooking and then cleaning and then driving and then shopping and then working and then having to talk to people and then having to listen to people and then having to drive with people and all that goes into... That's hard. It's hard. And so it's easy then in the face of the difficulty at being human to then adopt all kinds of views about it and not want to actually be here. But when we are here, when we, even in the middle of our difficulties, can just say, am I aware right now? Yeah, there's awareness. It's, in fact, it's very, um, it's, this awareness seems very quiet. No matter what's going on, Outside or inside, awareness itself is just quiet. There's a quietness in me when I'm here, and I know I'm here, and I know I'm aware. And, and when I'm really here, and I know I'm here, even though when I think about my life, it's incredibly complicated and challenging, but being in my life in this moment is not so Complicated. It's just very simple. How hard is it to be in this moment? And isn't it true that any, every moment is really the same in that one of the sense experiences is happening? There's either, in any moment, there's either seeing or hearing or smelling or tasting or feeling something in the body, or, or some kind of mind object. There's either a strong emotion, or thoughts, or images. In the moment of being with that, with full comprehension and awareness, if I really let that happen, and learn to let that happen, and appreciate that, that and let that define what my life is, more than the story of my life, which is always getting everything's getting harder and smaller and 
and I'm, my mind is often measuring and is often looking forward and often looking back and it's but when I just can touch into that simplicity for just a few moments it's not so bad and of course it helps to do that with other company that people that think it might be valuable to do that too and So why we listen to the teachings is to bring us to the... The teachings just bring us to the precipice, to the point of, of being present. To the, it brings us to a, a wise understanding of, of what life is like, how hard it is, what makes it harder, that state of grasping and condemning and not being in harmony with things the way they are. The way we relate to things, that's what makes it hard. And that it's possible in the middle of life, that's the teachings, is to, if one abandons that contentiousness with life and fighting with it, to open to it, to let go, to let be, that there's a, a place of freedom, here and now. That can't be found anywhere else. And this, as the Buddha said, this must be realized. So this is the understanding that we need to develop. This must be realized here and now. And that there is a, there is a path. And that each of us will create that path out of the unique conditions of our own lives, our own individuality. And uh, that path is all about stepping into... Uh, stepping into... Uh, not even stepping, just being where you are. We call it stepping into present reality, but we've never been apart from it really, except in our imagination. It's just being where we are and learning how to trust it, trust the present, and let the future take care of itself. Speaking of this, I think the reason the word stepping into presence Stepping into the present came because I was, I was reading this wonderful passage from the, uh, this Japanese nun named Tajitsu from the 1700s. And so I thought I'd share it with you. This is Tajitsu who's just like you and me, but she's been practicing a lot and so her mind is very sharp. And she's mostly interested in, in seeing... in and seeing reality. So she's on the precipice of, of she's come out of the tangle of her, of her narrative and her story about her life and she's just with life in its simplicity. She's been doing that moment to moment and that's really the invitation of practice. It doesn't so much depend on the, the form of your life. It's really the, the longing that you have and the heart that you have for whatever. If you have that desire that becomes the hub around which you live your life. It doesn't, the form isn't as important as having that desire to, to know yourself in that deepest possible way and to know that possibility of freedom. So this is Tajitsu, who was standing on a small porch of uh, Hakudwan, which must have been the, the monastery where she was at. And she saw a shadow of a little wren cross the path followed by the shadow of a hungry cow. And she saw that the little wren arose, abided, and fell away. And then she saw that arising arose, abided, and fell away. 
And that abiding arose, abided, and fell away. And that falling away arose, abided, and fell away. That's pretty specific. She saw that knowing this arose, abided, and fell away. And then she knew there was nothing more than this. No ground, nothing to lean on, stronger than the cane she held. Nothing to lean upon at all. And no one leaning. And she opened the clenched fist in her mind and let go and fell into the midst of everything. So that's a, it's very beautiful and poetic. But falling into the midst of everything is any moment free of a view of self, free of a view of the past, free of a view of the future, just here, just aware. And then just remove the word awareness. And remove the word here. And notice the effect on your nervous system when these words here, now, aware, all of it drops. And there's just reality. And remove the word reality and really let it surround you. So as Dogen said that meditation is not a means of enlightenment. It is enlightenment itself. So just as the counterbalance to Cyber Monday, Friday, Thursday, every day, we have the wonderful words of Sri Nisargadatta where he says, as long as we believe that we need things to make us happy, we shall also believe that in their absence we must be miserable. That's part of the narrative. Mind shapes itself according to its beliefs. Pleasure is a distraction, for it merely increases the false conviction that one needs to have and do things to be happy, when in reality it's just the opposite. Real happiness is best expressed negatively as, there's nothing wrong with me. I have nothing to worry about. After all, the ultimate purpose of all practice is to reach a point where this conviction, instead of being only verbal, is based on actual, ever-present experience. Which experience is that? The experience of being open, empty, uncluttered by memories and expectations. 
It's like the happiness of open spaces, of being young, of having all the time and energy for doing things, for discovery, for adventure. Your true home is in this openness, this emptiness of all content. When I, I like to clarify this a little bit, it doesn't mean the absence of all content. It means the independence from all content. It means happy whether there's content, happy whether there's no content. It's your basic nature, your natural state. True happiness has no cause. And what has no cause is immovable. Now all the wisdom teachings point to the understanding that the immovable is you. And so each of us, with all the understanding in the world, until we simply recognize that, turn and recognize our nature, which is no nature really, no, nothing you can put in a box, but turn and bear witness to our own nature, which is no nature, until we actually simply step into that, or let ourselves be that. Go to the Buddha for refuge, the one who knows within you. Um, until we do that, it's just understanding. It's just words, just teachings, all very useful, but it's all pointing to what is ever available and ever present. Mm. And so, so different so different than the idea that you, we have about ourselves. So different than what we think will make us happy. Mostly what we think will make us happy um, makes us unhappy. So what do you think about that? Any thoughts, any comments in the last few minutes? Please. Question. You were thinking about things and the quote from Nisargadatta, huh? You use a gratitude practice, yes. Give thanks for feet, hands, healthy heart, all those things. And it goes to things. Yes, I. Yes, we. That's a beautiful thing to be thankful for. Be thankful for everything, including your things, if that was what your question was. Well, thinking about things is fine. Thinking about things is wonderful, and appreciating them is, is wonderful. Anytime you're cultivating a state of appreciation, a state of gratitude, your, your heart is full and you're feeling sufficient. And, and your, your mind is not in a state of acquisition. It's not in a state of grasping. It's not perpetuating the idea that you have to have things in order to be happy. But the things you have, absolutely. Appreciate them, love them. I, I, I don't know if I said last week that I had, um, that my f most favorite thing in the world, were you here? My most favorite thing in the world was a, is, is a 
thing in the world, thing, not person, thing in the world is a watch. It has a watch that I wear all the time that has a red face. Some of you have recognized it before. Some of you have commented about it before. And I'm very, I've been very proud of my, my watch and very appreciative of my watch. Well, about 10 days ago, I left it in a locker and somebody stole it. And I was heartsick. So any notion that I had that I was somehow free of, free of attachment to things, it came right, right into my face. And I, but slowly, slowly, as I just let myself feel a little heartbroken and sad and think about all the times that I had enjoyed it and looked at it and felt it on my wrist and all these very silly things but are, that are just part of our relationship to things. Uh, I just let it myself feel it all, and by the time a week rolled along, I had moved on. I just didn't even give it a thought anymore. And sure enough, the moment I didn't give it a thought, I got a call. Your watch, somebody returned your watch. And it was, a, it was an extremely, it was an elderly person that had found it in the locker, put it in their bag, had meant to stop at the, at the front desk, and, and, and then had gotten carried away, as, as we do, <laughs> and forgot, and then a week later came back and returned the watch. So, and I was really happy that that watch came back. <laughs> But so it's fine to to have. It's not about as as Suzuki Roshi put it. Renunciation is not giving up the things of this world, but in understanding that they go away, in understanding their emptiness, and developing a a, a wise relationship. And so it was instructive to see that there was so much clinging to that to that object. But it was uh, it's just being human. So of course gratitude. Great. As long as it's not a secret, I hope you never go away. <laughs> Please, in the very back, and that you, you have the last comment of the night. Try to speak up if you can. Did you say self-promotion to achieving? Yeah. 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 Ex- dependence on an external reward and praise and and the avoidance of blame. That's a very very insecure. Um, preoccupation, uh, insecure occupation for our mind. It it puts us in a state of of insecurity. We're happy if we get praised. We're unhappy if we get blamed. And and that's what we're. That's how we are conditioned. And so it's it. So the teachings don't suggest that you don't try to achieve things. It's in our nature to refine and develop and and want to do things well. But. Uh, but the tendency is to have the have the the joy be dependent on how it turns out, as opposed to the process itself. And 
And then wisdom is to understand that, that I can have joy in the process of achieving whatever this is. It is in my nature to tr want to do it well. And I know that I may be praised and I may be blamed. Because that's the nature of life. If you're human, you will have the eight, what are called the eight worldly winds blow through your life. And it's not just you, it's everyone from time to time. You will have praise, you'll have blame, you'll have pleasure, pain, gain, loss, fame, shame. And that's, that's if you don't have those, you're not one of us. <laughs> so if you know that, if you understand that it's part of the nature of reality, you will, you'll see where, you, where you're setting yourself up for suffering. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you don't do that thing very well, but you, but you try to bring some understanding so that, the, so that if, you, if, you aren't a, if you don't happen to be uh, praised or achieve the, the highest result, that it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be the cause of any kind of uh, deflation or self-blame or, or a sense, a whole identity of failure. It really is, that's all just of the mind. And it, it's very avoidable. Anyway, that's a longer conversation, but thanks for the question. I think we do have to stop. So let's just spend a few moments remembering ourselves, not the idea of ourselves, but the direct perception happy that, as Hafiz says, that you're with the friend now, awareness, that you can stay that way and even bloom. He says, keep squeezing drops of the sun from your prayers, your work, your music, and from your companions' beautiful laughter. Keep dropping, keep squeezing drops of the sun. That means keep applying this light of awareness to your tender hearts, your bodies. And attend to the most insignificant movements of your own holy body. But Hafiz doesn't stop there. He says, learn to recognize the counterfeit coins that may buy you just a moment of pleasure, but then drag you for days like a broken man behind a farting camel. Keep squeezing drops of the sun from your prayers and work and music and from your companion's beautiful laughter. Now, sweet ones, he says, be wise. Cast all your votes for dancing. May all beings learn the dance of awareness. May all beings see through the wanting mind, the addictive mind. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live in harmony. May all beings live in peace and harmony.
just want to make a short announcement as you leave, just to remind you that we will be not meeting on the on Christmas Eve. The church is taking over on Christmas Eve, but the group will be meeting on New Year's Eve. So if you want to get your year started right, well, uh, come and sit with Yvonne Ginsberg. Uh, on New Year's Eve, she'll be taking the seat. But I'll be here the next two weeks. But uh, we won't be having a, a meeting on Christmas Eve, but we will on New Year's Eve. So thanks for your practice. Thanks for your generosity. And please stay where you are. Let's see.